0: My name is Sean McCann, I'm conducting a series of expert interviews on behalf of the European Hematology Association at the annual meeting of the American Society of Hematology, which this year is in Orlando, which is in Florida. And with me I have Angelie Adavanti. Ad- is that professor? Oh, you're very welcome, Dean. Thank you for coming along. Thank you. And she is professor of medicine in the Cleveland Clinic, Lerner College of, me- of Medicine of Case Western Reserve University in Cleveland, Ohio. That's a mouthful. (laughs) (laughs) And she's an expert on ALL. Uh, So, my first question is going to be, is ALL in children and ALL in adults, are they two different diseases? Because they have two different expectations, the outcomes are different.
1: That's a really good question. (laughs) So, I think there are a couple of things. I think There definitely is a difference in the biology of ALL, so as you go from children to adults. So children have um, uh, cytogenetic abnormalities such as uh, the TEL-AML1 gene, which has a very, very good prognosis. They have a higher incidence of hyperdiploid um, ALL, which again carries with it a good prognosis. In adults with ALL, we see a much higher incidence of the Philadelphia chromosome, which although things are changing with that disease, now that we have targeted therapies, that typically has been associated with a worse prognosis. Um, and there also, as you go from children to young adults to adults, there's also a higher incidence of the pH like ALL.
0: We'll come back to that in a minute. Which we'll come okay, back I to, I know. Uh, so, okay, let me interrupt you and say, uh-huh. why do you think, does anybody know why uh, um, Philadelphia chromosome is more prevalent in ALL as as we get older?
1: That's a great question. <laughs> I and I, at least I don't know the answer to that. Um, I think clearly it looks like it does increase with age, especially as you get to people, you know, fifty five and to sixty and over. It's about you know almost half of those so patients. All, all
0: people like me yeah <laughs> <laughs> so it's a very interesting I, and we have question. no idea why have we no oh, no, no. Well, as you say with with the advent of tki's the prognosis so at least in the short term me is certainly better okay tell me about this philadelphia chromosome like all i know nothing about that so educate me please so, so that's
1: really interesting so it turned out that um the children's um group, uh, pediatric group, looked at these children that were relapsing with ALL, because in general, children with ALL, as you mentioned, do very, very well. And so when they looked and looked at their gene expression um, pattern, it turned out it looked like pH-like ALL. Uh, sorry, looked like pH positive ALL, um, but they were not able to find the Philadelphia chromosome. So then they interrogated things further and basically were able to show that they that these patients had various kinase fusions, um, and they could involve fusion partners with things like ABLE, um, PDGFR, um, uh, CRLF2, uh, JAK2, um, and so What's more complicated than with pH-positive ALL is there multiple fusion partners. Right. But interestingly, in kids, you see more of the able fusion partners that may be candidates for therapy with things like a or disatnib. TKI is yes. And with uh, younger adults or adults, you're seeing a higher incidence of the JAK fusions, which may be candidates for drugs like ruxolitinib. Right. Um, so there are ongoing trials now, and the hope is this. Prog- the prognosis of these patients has typically been very poor with a very high incidence of MRD positivity um, after induction, which I know we're going to talk a little bit about. And so the question is, can you with TKI-based therapy and chemo now improve their prognosis similar to what we've been able to do with pH-positive ALL?
0: So you, you touched on MRD so I'm going to come back to that. So are you, are you measurable or minimal?
1: <laughs> so I think I'm getting to be more measurable, although Good. in my talk, I, I did discuss <laughs> minimal. And I, I think, you know, one of the reasons is now the testing that we're doing for minimal or measurable residual disease is really becoming more sensitive. So it's becoming a I think in ALL, unlike other diseases, I think it is a standard of care and very clear that we need to do um, MRD testing. I think the, the the more difficult part is now as we're getting more sensitive assays, if you now use something like uh, Clone Seeker, the adaptive technology that's very sensitive, um, do, can, how do you make those decisions after induction, or at what point do you well, make that's those? The
0: next question: When, when do you, when is this a good or bad prognosis? I mean, you know, what's the right yeah. time to do it?
1: it yeah. it's a great, and I think that's it's partly, I think, dependent on the protocol. I think it's dependent on the sensitivity of your assay. It's dependent on what level you get after induction. I mean, you know, if you have someone after induction that is MRD negative, their prognosis is excellent, and so. That's kind of an easier um, uh, guideline. But then, if they're positive, at what level and what the rest of their risk features are their white count, their chromosome testing, all of that, I think factors in. are do they have the ph lake signature?
0: And if they're positive, what what do you do? I mean, in practical terms? Good question. Do you change strategy? Or? That's a great question.
1: So, you know, blenitumumab is now FDA approved for MRD positive b um, but typically we're not doing that right after induction. Um, and so, um, you know, that I think blenitumumab is also... Um, Complicating things because there are a pers- you know, in general, if someone is MRD positive after x number of cycles and we're thinking about map typically those patients are patients we also say you need to go to transplant. But there are the there there is a subset of patients that don't go on to transplant that do well. The problem is I don't think right now we can really identify those patients. There have been studies looking at. Markers to kind of stratify those patients, but I think right now we just are not clear about that.
0: Okay, I mean, in terms of methodology, is flow cytometry the most widely used to measure MRD and ALM? Is that so?
1: Right now, I think in terms of the trials that have been published, at least in the US, that's true. In Europe, I think they've used more PCR-based strategies typically, Um, but at least in the U.S., more of our trials and knowing kind of what to do with those results have been flow-based. And so I think that adds another layer as we now do the next trials. Most people are starting to switch to next-generation sequencing and clone so the issue is going to be really you almost within the trials. If you can do both assays and then try to look at outcomes, I think that's going to be
0: optimal. Okay. I suppose flow is useful because you don't have to have a diagnostic sample. I mean, you can still do it. Right. More difficult, I know. Right, right. Okay, everybody is talking about CAR T cells, so let's talk about it. So, have they come of age yet in ALL, and where do they fit in?
1: Yes, that's a great question. So, you know, really, right now, the tough thing in ALL is there only, um, the only dr- the only the only CAR cell that's approved currently is for patients less than 26 years of age. And so that leaves a large number of the rest of our patients. Um, There are lots of ongoing clinical trials. Um, So Kite has the the Zuma trial that's ongoing um, in adult ALL. Um, I know there are other trials planned, Um, and there are many other trials now trying to look at you know bi-specific CARs and other things. so I think the results are very, very encouraging in children with ALL. Um, I think, you know, in the FDA-approved indication, um, there definitely is a nice niche there. I think where we really are trying to go is getting them approved um, nice. if for adults with ALL because, um, you know, studies such as that published by Jay Park in the New England Journal of Medicine have demonstrated very encouraging results in adults with ALL um so i'm hoping that that those um drugs become will become real <laughs> yeah. yeah will become real but in the meantime in there in are terms a lot of toxicity,
0: are, we, are we pretty happy with that we can deal with that now the acute that's toxicity a, anyway
1: that's a good question so i think there's still work to be done in that you know it does look like in adults with all um there have been more issues with toxicities and the toxicities also some seem to be somewhat more specific to products um right. and uh you know, one of the adult trials um, uh, by uh, Juno closed um, an, a few years ago um, due to toxicities. But I think there's mm-hmm. now a lot being learned about um, kind of what led to that, yes. and and so you know, I think. Yeah. Um, getting back to your question. I I think we are ready. We just, I think it definitely had, the treatment has to be performed in a center that has experience, that has a good ICU that you communicate with the ICU um, that has, you know, neurologists that are available. And again, just realizing it's a little bit different in children versus adults and also the amount of disease burden that's on board as well.
0: So when I was young a long time ago, I used to do allogeneic stem cell transplants for adults for uh-huh, the ALL. Uh-huh. Is that redundant now?
1: <laughs> so definitely, there's a, definitely still a lot of patients okay. we transplant. I think there are um, a few things, I think, from this meeting in young adults with ALL that do not have high-risk features. Um, There's a study uh, presented by uh, Matt Wiedewald that was done in collaboration with um, CIBMTR. Mm -hmm. And in that study, just at least in the young adult population, um, the outcomes were excellent with pediatric-inspired regimens and actually better than those patients that were transplanted. Now, there are lots of um, issues with this study because it was retrospective there's not MRD testing right. um high risk patients you know should still get transplanted um the second thing is i think we're starting to use MRD to really focus which patients should get transplanted versus not Um, But the third thing that I think is very exciting, and this may decrease the proportion of patients we transplant, is there are a lot of trials now looking at using antibody-based therapies such as blenitumumab or inotuzumab in the upfront setting. Those trials are randomized, but my hope is those trials will be positive. And you know, as those drugs are used up front, hopefully our relapse rate will be lower, and maybe the number of patients we are sending to transplant will be less. less. Okay,
0: Mm -hmm. the last uh, point I want to ask you about is AVN. Um, I mean, we used to just—I mean, everybody got the same treatment, but only uh, now we we know that there are certain people that have a a certain mutation, which makes. But does that help you in terms of treatment? I mean, you can't decrease their treatment can you <laughs> or can right
1: you? yeah i, I it's, that is still i think a very complicated issue because you know it may like you said l- you may be able to predict a little better which patients are at risk But right now we know steroids are very effective. Um, So I think probably the biggest thing we have done is I think now we know clearly that risk increases with age. And we know um, from studies within the pediatric group that even... Uh, young children versus young adults that the same steroid regimens cannot be used um so in the um cog 0232 arm they actually had to amend things
0: to reduce the amount of steroids
1: in the one arm and so you know i i think that's probably right now you know as we go further um i think those things need to be studied more but it is you're right it's very it's and it's
0: we'll do that. But yeah. I mean, I mean, AVN is a pretty devastating complication. Yeah. but I suppose you'd better. You'd rather have AVN than be dead, I suppose, is the answer.
1: But I think definitely, you know, the new trials going forward have recognized that that correlates with age, and they definitely have adjusted the steroid dose um, to still give high doses, but um, not as high as you right. would as in okay. young children. Right.
0: Okay, listen, thank you very much indeed yes, for thank sharing your pleasure.
1: thoughts with us. My pleasure. So for you
0: young investigators out there, um... There still seems to be a role for anal although that may dem- hopefully will diminish over the next five or ten years, uh, and there are many new agents, so hopefully in adults this disease now will be curable in the majority as opposed to the minority when I was treating adults with ALL. <laughs>